0: Numbers chapter 16 this morning, Numbers chapter 16, and Phil is laughing at me from the front row already, because I had said I was going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, but that needs to percolate just a little bit longer, I'm not quite ready there, so we're going we're gonna to pull one out of the archives this morning, I, I hope that this is not one that I've preached here before, my wife mentioned this one and suggested this, she would like to hear this one again this morning, and I said, I think I've preached that here before. she said, no, you've never preached that here. And I look back through all my records, and I've never preached it here. So if I've preached it here, my records are to blame. And obviously, God wants us to hear it again. So, Numbers chapter 16. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians once I get my brains around it. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of the sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel. Two hundred and fifty leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all your company, put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is his holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. What is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow, You and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, two hundred and fifty censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation." And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they, that's Moses and Aaron, fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh shall one man sin, and you be angry with all the congregation. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of the tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they be visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men who were offering incense." Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy. And scatter the fire some distance away, the censers of these men who sinned against their own souls. Let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord has said to him through Moses. Flip over just a couple. I just want to read a couple more verses. Give you kind of the end of the story. Chapter 26. And let's just read a couple verses in chapter 26. Starting in verse nine. Numbers 26, verse 9, the sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. When the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to once again open the Bible. Lord, we're so thankful for the Bible. Where would we be without your word? Lord, it is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Lord, your word gives us everything that we need. It's a road map. It's a love letter. It's everything. And so I pray today, Father, as we look at it, that you'll speak to our hearts. And I pray, Father, this message would be an encouragement and a help. Lord, there may be some here today who need this. And uh, Father, for some reason, you've laid it on our hearts. And so I pray that you'll just guide and direct today. Speak to us. Uplift your, your son, Jesus, and we'll thank you in his name. Amen. One of the greatest weapons that is leveled against children of God is the past. The past. Most people have things in their past that they're not real thrilled to admit are there, and they wish weren't there. And sometimes they find themselves hindered in their life by those situations in their past. And so a question needs to come up. Are we slaves to our past? Are we, as so many modern-day psychologists teach, what we are to a large extent because of our environment, because of how we were raised, because of our past? And And are we often helpless? To do anything about it. Must we resign ourselves to a life of second class service for Christ. Because of things that might be in our past. Believe it or not I think our scripture for today. Which might not seem to have anything to do with this topic. I think our scripture for today has a lot to say about it. And I think it can be very very helpful. Because I think what we see here is a story of a terrible past. Terrible past. But I think we also see a bright future bright future. And so let's look just a little bit here. I want us to notice three different things today. The title of today's message is Rising from the Ashes. And there are three things I want us to think about. Number one, the sin of Korah. Number two, the sinlessness of Korah's sons. And finally, the service of Korah's sons. Uh, Just for a few minutes this morning. Number one, Numbers, Numbers chapter 16, that long passage I read, described for us the sin of Korah. Did you pick up on it? The sin of Korah. Korah, first of all, we need to understand who he was. He was the great-grandson of Levi. He was a Levite. Let me, let me just read you a passage. It's got a bunch of names in it. Forgive the names, but you need to, you need to see this so you understand who he was. It says, these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, Merari. The years of the life of Levi were 137. The sons of Gershon were Libni and Shemai, according to their families. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushai. These are the families of Levi according to their generations. Now Amram took for himself Joshabed, his father's sister, his wife, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. And the years of the life of Amram were 137. The sons of Izhar were Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. And so Korah was the great-grandson of Levi. He was a person who had a tremendous uh, ancestry. He would have been a person who would have been respected and from a respected family in Israel. But as we saw here in chapter 16, it was Korah who was the ringleader of a terrible revolt. A terrible revolt against Moses and, as Moses said, really against God. Because God is the one who had set up Moses in that position of leadership. And, of course, we read that all throughout here. Verse number 6, notice again, it says this, Do this, take censors, Korah, and all your company. There are other names that are mentioned in there. Dathan and Abiram are mentioned. But Korah is the one that is singled out as being the ringleader. The one who was really head in the show. Verse number 19 says, Korah gathered all the congregation against them. At the door of the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So he was the ringleader of this revolt. And the other thing that we see about this sin of Korah is that his name became a byword in all of Israel. His name became a sign. Anytime anybody thought about Korah from this point on, they, they thought about rebellion. And as a matter of fact, that's right up until the, until the modern day. The name Korah is synonymous with rebellion. We, we see it all over the place. We see, uh, we see it here in the um, in, uh, Chapter 26, that passage that I read where it says the sons of Eliab were Nemuel and Dathan and Abiram. These are that Dathan and Abiram, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah. When they contended against the Lord, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. When the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign, it became known that you said the word Korah, you said the name Korah, you were synonymous with rebellion. In Numbers chapter 27, there was this, this uh, group of ladies who came before Moses, the daughters of Zelophehad. Interesting name. Daughters of Zelophehad. Zelophehad had died. And consequently, because the inheritance of land was coming down through the father, the women got nothing. And so they came before Moses and they said, now listen, uh, just the fact that our dad died doesn't mean that we ought not to get an inheritance. We should get an inheritance too. And so listen to what they said. It's interesting how quickly they were to say, our dad died, but not, had nothing to do with Korah. They wanted to distance themselves completely. Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in company with Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. So everybody was very quick to say, had nothing to do with Korah. Korah's name, Korah, was a sign rebellion, all the way up to the very next to the last book in our Bible, when in Jude, verse number 11, we read this. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, they have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. All the way, from then on, the name Korah equals rebellion. So that's the first thing we see, is the sin of Korah. The second thing I want you to see is the sinlessness of Korah's Sons. We read about that in Numbers chapter 26. That's why I wanted you to read that last thing. When I read about this some time ago, the first time I ever noticed this in scripture, this is the verse that made me really stop and think. Numbers chapter 26 and verse number 11. This is nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Do you find that interesting? I do, because I think that there's not a single word in the Bible that's not of meaning. Why did the Holy Spirit think it important to tell us that particular truth? Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. They were spared. So they must have been innocent in the rebellion. The children of Dathan and Abiram were sucked right down into the earth along with them, along with everybody else. But the children of Korah were spared. They must have been innocent. They must not have been involved in the rebellion themselves. But think about this. How would you like to have been one of the children of Korah after that? Would you not have been a marked person? Would you not have had to fight against a reputation that nobody would have wanted to fight against? I don't have any scripture to go to for that. I'm just using my uh, overly active imagination, I guess. But think about that. Think about what it would have been like to walk around the camp for days thereafter as one of the children of Korah. Think about every time you walked around a tent and you saw a group of people over there whispered. And you knew what they were talking about. And you were the person that was the descendant of Korah. They were marked men. They had a reputation from that time on that they would have had to deal with. But they must have been determined men. Because as we're going to see, God used these sons of Korah in an amazing way. An amazing way. So we see the sin of Korah. We see the sinlessness of Korah's sons. But let's think then about the service of Korah's sons. What did, what did he use them for? They were used for great things. They rose to prominence in the service of the tabernacle in the temple. Shalom was one of them. Shalom. In 1 Chronicles chapter 9, we read that the gatekeepers were Shalom, Aqab, Talmud, Hyman, and their brethren. Shalom was the chief. Until then, they had been gatekeepers for the camps of the children of Levi at the king's gate on the east. Shalom was the son of Korah. Gatekeeper. That was a high honor, indeed. Because that was the gate that was used by the king. Other Korahites, we also read, if I would... Bore you with even more names. Other Korahites also were gatekeepers and served as Levites. And so here's these guys. They rose above their past and they went on to do great things for God. Gatekeepers, Levites. Not only that, they became renowned as musicians, singers, songwriters. Second Chronicles chapter 20. The Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites, that's the sons of Korah, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. They were singers. Not just singers, songwriters. Twelve of the psalms in our book of psalms were written by the sons of Korah. Psalm 42, 49, 84, 85, 87, 88, and others. Twelve of them attributed to the sons of Korah. We sing one of their psalms often. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Written by the sons of Korah. And so here's some men. Who rose above their past and accomplished something for God. Here's some men who were not slaves to their past. Here's some men who rose above it. Korah did indeed commit a horrible sin. And it did mark his name for all of eternity. Until the day when all things become new and and, uh, all former things are no more. The name of Korah is going to be synonymous with rebellion. But the sons of Korah rose from the ashes of that disgrace, and they accomplished something. They became singers. They became songwriters. They became gatekeepers, servants of the Lord.
1: And every time we
0: sing that little chorus, as the deer, we ought to think about the fact that we don't have to be slaves to things in our past. We can rise from the ashes. We can rise above it, and we can accomplish things for God. And so we go back to our first question, the question that we opened with this morning. Are you, am I, slaves to things in our past? Are there things in our past that can hold us down to the point where we can no longer do anything for God? And I would say to you, absolutely not, if the Bible is true. If the Bible is true, we are not. The greatest successes the world has ever known are men and women who have risen from the ashes of failure and gone on to do something, achieve success. Someone once asked his mentor in business to what he attributed his phenomenal success And the man looked at him and he says, well, making good decisions, of course. But the young man was not satisfied with that answer. And he says, well, how do you learn to make good decisions? And without hesitating a a split second, he said, making bad decisions. And that's the truth, is it not? All of us rise from failure to accomplish something better. Roger Staubach was the former quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. One time he was asked by a news reporter, how does it feel when you've blown a pass? And he said, without hesitating, I cannot wait to get my hand back on the ball again. And that's why Roger Stolbach was a great quarterback. The fact is, all of us fail. All of us have things that trip us up. But not everybody gets back up. Everybody fails. I read a story one time about a fellow by the name of Big Boy Blaylock, And I have this feeling that I've told this story here before. Maybe I have. If this story be true, and you never know about some of these things... If this story is true, supposedly back in the 30s, Big Boy Blaylock was with Louisiana State University. He was a boxer. He was six foot six. He was huge. And he was boxing one time against a uh, younger, stockier fellow from Mississippi State. And if you can believe this, supposedly in the second round, Big Boy let loose a roundhouse punch against his opponent. But as he let loose this huge roundhouse punch, his opponent stepped in and accidentally got his head right here. In the elbow of Big Boy Blalock. And so his arm, by the momentum of this massive punch, continued on around, wrapped around this guy's head and came around and cracked him in his own jaw. And if the story is true, Big Boy staggered all the way around the ring, grabbed onto the ropes desperately, trying to hold himself up, and finally collapsed out for the count. And if that is true, if it's true, he's the only person to have ever knocked himself out with a right from his own own hand. I don't know if it's true or would I'd just like to have that in your past? I wouldn't. In 1978, there was a fireman's strike in England. During that fireman's strike, the British Army decided that they were going to jump in there and they were going to help fight fires. And, uh, they got a phone call one day from a little old lady. This little old lady said, my kitty cat is up a tree. Would you come help me? So the British Army rolled, and they went responded immediately, and got up the tree and got the cat down. and Everybody was happy. The cat was safe. Everybody was happy. The lady was crying. The guys were crying. Everybody was crying. It was all wonderful. And they were getting ready to leave. And she said, now listen, you guys have done so much for me. Why don't you come in and have some tea? And so they went in to have some tea. Nobody was paying attention to the cat at this point. They went in to have some tea. They got all done. They came out. They got in their truck. And they went to the drive away and they ran over the cat and killed her. <laughs> supposed to be true. It's supposed to be true. Everybody fails. I had the privilege the other night of meeting with Jen and John in our home. And I found out something about Jen that I did not know. I found out, well, probably found out several things. But I found out that Jen used to attend First Baptist Church of Hammond, Dr. Jack Howells. And I told her about a story. And I'm going to share it with you right now because when Jack when Jack Howells told this story, he said he thought this was the funniest story he'd ever heard in his life. And I do think it's funny. It's pretty funny. Jack Howells said that the story was, that this, and he'd read it in the newspaper, he said that a young lady was in the hospital... And uh, uh, they were interviewing her in the hospital. And the reason she was in the hospital is that she had tried to kill herself. She had been so depressed with life that she had climbed up on top of a 20-story building and she had jumped out of the 20th floor window. But when she jumped out of this window, a huge gust of wind came up and blew her back onto the ledge just a couple of floors down. And people were there inside of the window and they saw this and they were horrified and they whipped the window open and grabbed her and took her to the hospital and she was okay, banged up, but alive. She was being interviewed in the hospital. And Hiles said, this is the funniest thing i ever heard. Being interviewed in a hospital and the reporter said, why in the world did you want to kill yourself? And she said, because I have failed at everything I have ever tried to do. <laughs> everybody fails. But not everybody gets up. And the fact is, I think, if we learn anything from Cora and his sons, is that we can get up. We can rise from the ashes. One man said, notice the difference between what happens when a man says to himself, I have failed, three times, and what happens when he says, I am a failure. Completely different thing. Those who are Kent State football fans may appreciate this particular illustration, if you read the paper this week. This is another one that, if you can believe it, is supposedly true. It is said that on New Year's Day in 1929, Georgia Tech played the University of California in the Rose Bowl. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm not that big of a football fan to know all the way back there. But there was supposedly a man in that game by the name of Roy Regals. Roy recovered a fumble for California. Somehow, he got confused, and he started running the wrong way. And he started running toward the opponent's end zone. Thankfully, there was a person on his team that was faster than him who ran him down and tackled him just right at the goal line, just barely got it there. But nonetheless, California attempted to punt, Tech blocked the kick, scored a safety, and that turned out to be the ultimate margin of victory, and they ended up losing because of that. Well, all that took place in the first half of the game, and they all went filing back in. After that had taken place, they went filing into the locker room, and of course, everybody in the stands was thinking, wow, what's going to go on in that locker room? Because supposedly, I've, I'm, I didn't play football, Josh played football, but I didn't. But supposedly you get in the locker room and, and uh, you know, the coach has a lot to say. And they thought he was going to have a lot to say on this particular day to Roy Regals. But those who were there said that he walked into the room and he just stood there. All the guys had come in and they were sitting on the, on the uh, benches or up against the lockers or against the wall, just sitting there waiting. But Roy had just gone over in the corner and thrown a towel over his head and was just sitting there bawling like a baby. Coach just came in, just sat there. Didn't say a word. Time ticked by. Three minutes before they were supposed to be on the game, the timekeeper came in and said, It's time you guys need to get on the field. And so the coach just said one sentence. He said, The same team that started the first half will start the second. And he walked out. And all the rest walked out. All except Roy, who remained under his towel, crying. The coach came back and he said, Roy, you you did hear me, right? The same team that started the first half is going to play the second half. And Roy said, I can't do it. He said, I can't. Not in a million years can I walk out there. He said, I've made a fool of myself. I've ruined you. I've ruined the school. There's no way I could go out and face that crowd again. And the coach supposedly put his hand on his shoulder and said, Roy, the game is only half over. And those who were there, if it is true. Those who were there say that when Roy went on that field the second half, he played like no man has ever played football before. You know, the fact is, we are not slaves to our past. Not if my Bible is true. Nothing is more foreign to Scripture than that. The Bible is filled with examples of men who failed, made complete hash of things, and went on and got used in great ways. How about Samson? Samson, who rose above his disgrace, and his whole life was a disgrace, but he rose above it until in his last moments he accomplished more for God than he had in his entire life. If you don't think Samson accomplished much for God, go and read Hebrews chapter 11 and tell me why he's in the roll call of the heroes of faith. Samson. How about David, who committed a terrible sin and yet rose from the defeat of that sin to write that wonderful penitential Psalm 51 and to go on and once again become the man after God's own heart? How about David? How about Peter? Who rose from the despair of publicly denying the Lord Jesus Christ. In a few weeks we're going we're gonna to show our, our slides from Israel. And for those who want to see that. One of the places that we visited in Israel. And I can't remember the name of this church. It was something like the church of Peter Gallicantu, or something like that. It was Latin or something. But it is a church built over the house of Caiaphas. And it is a church that is, is the theme of the church is Peter's denial. And everywhere you look there are Roosters. Everywhere you look, there's a rooster on top of the building. Uh, everywhere you look, there's statues of Peter, you know, denying. And so here's Peter, who, you know, was living with that horrible denial. And yet he went on. He rose from that. He became one of the greatest preachers and apostles the world has ever known. He preached a sermon one time, and 3,000 people were saved. He wrote two of the books of the Bible, First and Second Peter. Some would say he wrote Mark, or was at least instrumental in the writing of Mark. And so, only eternity will know what was accomplished by Peter rising from the ashes of his defeat. How about John Mark? John Mark, who Paul one time called a quitter. Why did he call him a quitter? Because he was a quitter. Because he walked away from God. But yet he turned and came back and rose from the ashes of that. And one day Paul said, he's profitable to me for the ministry. Now, you're not a slave to your past. So no matter what's there, you need to forget it. Because God has. Hebrews ten seventeen says, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Satan is the one who remembers our sins. Satan is the one who remembers our past and wants to throw it in our face. God does not. And we ought not to either. If you are saved, and that's key. I'm talking to saved people today. If you are saved, you can rise from anything in the past. You can go on and serve the Lord. Just got to get up. You just got to quit moping about it. And just got to start serving the way that you used to. James said it so simply. He said, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's wonderful. They rose from the ashes of their past. And so too can we.